Father, we are here. You've called us from many places. And you've called us to be your sons and your daughters. By way of adoption, whereby you have sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts, where we cry, Abba, Father. We are the children of God. We've been called for such a time as this to be the people of God in this generation to display your glory. We've been called and whom you call, you've justified. Who you justify, you will glorify. All of this is for your glory and your honor. Thank you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Stand with me as we read from Romans 8, verses 18 to 30. Um, there's so much meat in Romans. Um, it's like a fat, fat, fat steak that doesn't have a lot of bad meat on it anywhere. It's all good meat. Top sirloin. Paul says here from Romans 8 CSB translation for I consider that the sufferings of this present time. Many of us in this room are experiencing are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons and daughters to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself would also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now, in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. And in the same way, the spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things, all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. You may be seated. Last week, we spoke of the longing 
for redemption from creation's viewpoint. Today we are going to speak of the longing for redemption as children of God and how the Holy Spirit sanctifies us according to the will of God and according to his purpose. Like I said in the beginning, this Romans 8, it is loaded with so much meat, so much depth, so much to chew on. And I can't get to it all, but I'm going to try to land the plane here tonight on Romans 8.28, which is a passage that gets quoted quite a bit. I'm not going to get into it all. I think I'm going to have to come back to it and, and tease it out some more, but just I'm going to kind of get there. I'm going to put my toe into it, my feet into the water. I'm going to at least touch it. Um, I may start crying on you a little bit. I don't know. It's, it's, it's one of those passages of scriptures that, as I've said before here as a pastor, you got to live some life to truly get your head, head around it. It's not one you read it 13 years old. You can grasp it, though your mom and dad can teach you how to, to memorize it. It's, it's not like that. It's one of those that you kind of live life a little bit and then you kind of look back and you see this God that we serve and how big and bad he is. How he makes no mistakes. He dots every I and crosses every T's. His grace is beyond us understanding. It's above us. It's, it's God, the infinite, eternal God. And this is what my first slide will get to here as it speaks of this God, Isaiah 46, verse 8 and 10, one that you should memorize. And as you go through dark times and dark moments, Isaiah 46, 8 and 10 says, remember this, and be brave. Take it to heart, you transgressors. Remember what happened long ago, for I am God. And there is no other. I am God. And there is no one is like me. No one is like me, he says. For I declare the end, not the beginning. I declare the end from the beginning. Now, you have to be God to be able to do that. When we see trouble, it's new to us, but to God, it's in the past. Because he declared the end from the beginning. And from long ago, what is not yet done Sin, my plan will take place. Not Alton's plans, not Urban Hope Community Church plans, but his plans will take place and I will do all my will. Man, you have to be God to talk like that. Can a man or woman talk like that? And so as we delve into our text today, I want us to understand this. This verse from Isaiah helps us understand that, that God sees everything from an eternal perspective. He sits outside of time. You and I live in time. What time is it, Brother Hardy? I have to look to my and a lot of times I just forgot about time. I don't even put barriers in it no more. But I wear them for the look. <laughs> to match the shoes. My shoes black. The watch got to be black. I don't want to have orange on in a green watch. I don't know what that is. It's maybe it's just a cultural thing in me. I got to kind of have it all coordinated. <laughs> Sanders, why are you always wearing watches with no time on it? It don't matter. It, it, it matches the look. <laughs> I 
But Isaiah is trying to help us understand that God sees everything from an eternal perspective, not a short interval, temporary perspective view like we tend to think and see as finite human beings that we are. So it's hard to, to understand Romans 8.28 and we're a young church, we're young people and, and I've been around a while so 50, once you get to 50 you've seen a few things and you just know that troubles will come. They will knock on your door. And these things about God that we may not think deeply about, but when them troubles come, you will start to say, if this God is the God of Isaiah 46, does he know what he's doing? Is he still on his throne? And that's important to understand. Because we have to understand something about God. And this is where our second slide will get to from Genesis. This whole thing that we're talking about. Genesis 1:26. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They were ruled of the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth and the creatures that crawled on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. And God said, look, I have given you every seed bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you. For all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky for every creature that crawls on the earth and everything having the breath of life in it. I have given every green plant for food and it was so. Now look what I highlight. This is God's pronouncement over the creation on the sixth day. On the seventh day, he took a break. He rested from all of his labors. But it says here before he rested, this is what he says about all of creation. This is important to understand when these those hard moments come and I would be as a pastor. I wouldn't be a good pastor if I didn't give you a heads up. They come to all. They come to all. The rain rains on the just and the unjust. The sun shines on both. But here in God's creative order, we see in God saw all that he had made, all that he had created, which include human beings, all that he had created. And God says, and it was very good indeed. It was good. It was good. Evening came and then morning. And this was the sixth day. But I want you to see that it was all good. It's all good. God's creation that he had intended was good. But remember, he's the God that knows the end from the beginning. So even though God created a good world and put a man and a woman in a garden, God knew in his sovereignty that old Slewfoot, Lucifer, was lurking as a lying, waiting to prey upon his meal. This is think high with God. This is one of the reasons why I was attracted to the Presbyterian faith, with the emphasis on the, the bigness of God. I like to call it in our vernacular here, big God theology. I hate it when pastors try to box him in. If you can box God in, then I don't know if I can last tomorrow. But we call it big God theology. He sits high and looks low, ruling and reigning. But he says it was good. 
But knowing evil was going to invade this goodness. And as we have been discussing over the last few weeks in chapter eight, this is what we call sanctification. What is it that God is after? Because we know from the fall, we went bad. The fall brought calamity. The fall brought death and decay. The fall brought animals eating other animals. The fall brought all of the stuff that we see today. And so God in his redemption work is come to the world, Egypt, i.e., the God of this world, Satan, Lucifer, the God of this world, to deliver the people of God, his children from Egypt, and to lead them into the promised land where we live to the glory of God. We sing to him. But glory unto God is more than just singing. It's all of life. Whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, you do it all to the glory of God. How you work at your job, it brings God glory. How you walk down the street brings God's glory. How you talk to your neighbor brings God's glory. How you treat your wife and your children, that brings God's glory. You can dishonor God in all manners of life. But God is, is in the sanctification business. When he comes to bring us out of Egypt where we are not living for him or like him, but in other words, we're bringing honor to the devil and God comes to rescue us, to deliver us. And we call that the sanctification and sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. Back to God's original intent in Genesis one. That we're being renewed. Made over new creation. The whole man after the image of God and, and, and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. And we, as children of God, in all of this sanctification, we are longing for something. Last week, creation was longing. This week, we are longing, along with the Holy Spirit. What are we longing for? First John 3, 2, tell us in my third slide. What are we longing for? This is what we're longing for. And this is just part of it. We're here now, sanctification, being made after God. We're longing for something that was lost. First John 3, 2 says, Dear friends, we are God's children now. We're God's children if you believe. If you believe this story, you are God's children. You live here in Fairfield or beyond or whatever. You are God's children if you believe the story of the gospel. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. We are in that process sanctification and we know that when he appears when Jesus appears we will be like him because we were made like him but sin came and distorted us sin is nothing more but distortion we are not doing and acting according to what God made us to be but God comes in the redemption story to redeem us, to sanctify us, and we long for it as children of God. There's a longing in you. That's why people all over the internet and all over the social media are writing about justice because we long for a time of pureness and justice and when everyone is treated because of the content of the, who they are. That's, that's been put in us. And we see it. And when we don't see it working out in our world, we are angry of it and over it. But we're longing for this. 
So when we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. We will be like him. In the meantime, we're groaning our way through it. Romans, back to eight. Text, you can put the scripture back, Carl, here. Um, Romans says, 819, that all of creation. Yes, this next slide. No, actually, put the slide back up. The fourth slide. That's what I'm calling. I want to walk through it. Here we go. Romans last week, 819, says that the all of creation is on his tiptoe, leaning over to see the wonderful sight of the sons and daughters of God coming into their own. The whole earth is groaning, eagerly awaiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. The earth says, I was subjected to fertility. This is out of balance. And the earth is groaning. And J.B. Phillips' translation says, it's on his tiptoe. The earth, the whole creation is like, we want the sons and the daughters of God to be revealed. There's, a, there's an eagerly expectation. All of creation is waiting for that. But Paul says in verse 23 that we, us here today, children of God, that we too, Paul says, we are eagerly waiting on our tiptoes, the same translation with adoption for the redemption of our bodies. We know that this is, this is something that's not right with our bodies. This is why understanding the resurrection, meaning God gives us back our, our new glorified body that will be like Jesus' body. A new body that doesn't decay. It doesn't get old. And I can't wait. Man, wait till you start getting old and your knees starts hurting and your ankles and you can't hear and you can't see. Man, you start to, oh, get me out of this body. And so Paul says, we're longing for the redemption of our bodies. Creation is longing. We are longing. Sin has messed up our bodies. We're born sick, born with all kinds of elements wrong with us, ailments that's wrong with our bodies. And so Paul says we are eagerly waiting for adoption for the redemption of our bodies. And Paul says, in verse 25, we wait for it with patience. We're waiting for it with patience. Carl, you can put the scriptures back up and go to verse 23. He says, we're waiting for it with patience. But in verse 23, he says, not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, the Holy Spirit coming to take up residence in us. If you're a Christian, you can only become a Christian when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. And we've talked about who's the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the living God lives within you. That's the only way that you and I could ever have any overcoming of sin and the sinful nature. We have talked about that in Romans chapter 7. That, that, that civil war, that fight. How do you fight these addictions and, and things that come against you and war against your mind? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God within you, the hope of glory. That's how. I couldn't preach without the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. You need him. And Paul says he's the first fruits the Holy Spirit of God on the inside of us. He's the first installment 
the down payment of God's promise to us as adopted children of God. He's a down payment to us. And the glory that is being revealed to us. That Paul speaks about in verse 18, that these things and these sufferings that we are going through, they're not to be compared to the glory that God has promised to us. And some of that glory is that indescribable peace we knew when we first experienced the forgiveness of sins. Let me stop. Do you remember that? When you first was born again and that overwhelming sense that your sins were forgiven and that overwhelming sense of peace and joy that you couldn't explain, that you were talking to God and he's talking back. See, get around some new Christians. That'll remind you this overwhelming joy and experience when we first became alive. Like, I got new hands. I didn't have to go see a dermatologist, but I have new skin. <laughs> I have a new heart. That's a down payment of the glory that is coming. Not to put them on the spot, but a couple of Miles College girls who have been, who have been they're in this process right now. And Sandra had them over, and I was eardropping. You know, I probably, you know, I'm a pastor, so I want to, and I'm in the room, and I'm, I'm tap-toeing, I'm dancing in the Holy Ghost because I'm getting so excited about their joy. And I said, man, I remember that. And they said, and I heard one girl say, I'm talking to God. Do you understand? God talks to me. That blows my mind. The great I am, the God of Isaiah, is talking to me. He's on the inside of me. Do you understand that? And they were in the room. They were like, oh, my God, Miss Hardy, you just don't understand. That's when the world said, what happened to you? You are crazy. Yeah, I am. God made me crazy. <laughs> this glory. This glory. This forgiveness of sins. This transcendent peace that fill our hearts in the midst of, of our circumstances. The foretaste of what is yet to come. That joy. It's hard to articulate and explain it. Where you get this joy from, Alton? Where, where, where you get it from? I mean, when I got saved and and the person said, you're, you're going crazy. You're smiling all the time because I didn't smile. I was sad. I was fatherless. And you saw it. But when that God took up residence in, in Alton, I went from looking sad to smiling. And Paul says this Holy Spirit is the first fruits of God's down payment to us. But while we are waiting, verse 23 says, we groan within ourselves. Though there's a joy, but we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Though there's a joy and excitement and down payment, but we know that this is more. It's not all that it is. This is why we say here that this is not our home. We're passing through. I can't take it. Death every week, death every day. Kids getting killed, children getting aborted, people abusing their wives and their children, killing little babies. It's, we know this is not what it was meant to be. Our bodies are breaking down. So we're groaning while we're waiting. And this Greek word groan here, sonazo, which means we have griefs, afflictions, 
the stress that causes us to sigh. And this sigh is like these deep exhales. You just sometimes you can't really say anything. What's going on, sister and brother, so and so? And all you can do is just, oh, there's just groans, there are sighs, which means audible breath expressing sadness. Even though I got this joy, but every now and then you'll hear me, you'll see me. I'm just overwhelmed with the sadness of death and decay and the pressures and the, and, the, and the evil and the injustice that is always happening and never seem to be ever going away. So we sigh and we grieve when we see a young boy, a young kid get shot by a drive-by and we just sigh. It's just, oh, my God, how long? And this side means expressing sadness, tiredness. You're tired? Tired of arguing with your spouse over meaningless things. Sin just has a way of just working itself into stuff that really doesn't matter in the eternal perspective. There's a tiredness, a deep yearning for something lost. In these groans, unattainable in many ways. They're distant. They're silent prayers. My mom used to pray them all the time in the old black church and the slaves narratives. And, you, and they didn't want the slave masters to know what they were saying. So and you're out in the field and picking cotton in the morning. You're getting whipped and you're not getting fresh lemonade and tea. You're getting hot water, whatever the case may be. And you're out in those fields and you just groan. And my mom would just walk around and they called it humming. And, she, and we're like, what are you doing, mom? She in them. And next thing you know, she's crying. She ain't saying anything, but you could just see tears running out of her face. We have no food in our refrigerator. We didn't have a refrigerator. And she had all these kids, and my daddy was doing what he was doing, and all my mom was had is to understand there's a big God, so all she could do was just groan with sighs, and she would go, mm-hmm, Jesus, mm-hmm, walking around, mm, I need you, Jesus. And she was praying for her children, and Lord God, help me to feed them. And every now and then she would go in there. And I don't know what she would do. And she would take water and bread. And, and I said to laugh about this, but somehow she would go out in the field and get red dirt and make dirt cookies. And I'm here to tell you those cookies were some of the best tasting cookies I've ever had. He would have given Oreo cookie a, a run for their money. And she made it out of nothing but pure dirt and added some sugar to it. And them cookies kept us alive. Groaning, silent prayers for relief and redemption. And then in verse 24, 25, Carl, you can put it up. It says, now this hope that we are saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. If you can see it, Paul says, but hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we can't see it with our natural eyes. We eagerly wait for it with patience, Paul says. This hope, this longing, this longing for the redemption and a hope of redemption in a world filled with hate. We're longing for it here in Urban Hope. Bringing God's kingdom as it is in heaven here on earth. Longing for a community where every home has a father and a mother and a loving, nurturing family. We're longing for it in a world filled with hate, sufferings of every kind, afflictions, injustice, racism, and every form of evil. Paul says we're in a world with hope. We're eagerly expecting that. We're longing for it. And sometimes it seems overwhelming 
and hopeless and our prayers become groans. And it's hard for us to articulate. But verse 26, Paul says. But in the same way, the spirit also helps us in our weakness. We are not without help. This is why it's important to understand the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of Puma. Because the spirit comes to help us in our weakness. This Greek word weakness is meaning sickness. The state of incapacity, limitations to do or experience something. Feel that way tonight. Just like, man, I just, you know, I know when I was going through my child support years, Sandra can bear witness to this. I was just weak. I couldn't fix it. It was I was a Christian. I was doing everything I know to do. And here I was in this situation with it. I just found myself couldn't I couldn't fix it. It was all it was unfixable. I was limited. All I could do was just, as Paul says, I just groaned. And the Holy Spirit would come and he would just give me the power just for the day to get through. And I remember Sandra saying, baby, this will not always last. There were so many times I wanted to run. I wanted to abandon my children. I, wanted, I was so mad at the system. I was just mad. It was just injustice. I would go down there. And I know in my early days, I probably, you know, grandpas didn't have no um, gun detector, because I would go down there and those people would make me so mad. I don't know what I said. And I know later on, they just put a gun detector there so nobody else could come in there. And I probably had something to do with it. <laughs> it was just, just incapacity, Could, couldn't fix it, couldn't make it. And Paul says, the Holy Spirit comes to help us in our weakness, in our limitations as human beings. And then verse 26, he says, in our weaknesses, because we do not know what to pray for as we should. When we're so weak, we're tired, we're worn down, Paul says that we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. The Spirit comes. He comes to aid us, to help us, and he prays and he intercedes through us, through those groanings and those sighs that you're experiencing tonight. Those inexpressible groanings. The Holy Spirit says those things we want to say, but cannot always do with coherence. We can't articulate them. He expresses those things we feel, but we cannot articulate. Paul says the Spirit of God comes to intercede for us. But look at verse 27. This is important. For he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because he intercedes for the saints, the children of God. He intercedes for you and I. He intercedes for you and I, the children of God. Because here, Paul says the saints, not the New Orleans saints, the saints of God. He intercedes. And this is the key to understanding verse 28, a verse that gets quoted at a lot of funerals for people who are not saints. Paul says, for the saints, the Holy Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Not our will, not my will. But thy will be done. Why? Holy Spirit is God, third person of the Trinity. Holy Spirit can see the future. He knows where he's taking you. And he has come to sanctify. In our modern day, in our modern era, sanctification 
means no troubles. House on the top of the hill, no rainy days, no sorrows, no pain, no afflictions, no grief. And you preach like that, your church grow triple, quadruple overnight. The only problem with it, the world lets us know it's growing every single day. And we see pain and death and decay and divorce all around us. How folks can fall for that, it just goes beneath me. But the Holy Spirit comes to intercede for the saints according to the will of God. Because he can see the future. He knows what is ahead. Remember what Isaiah says? He declares the end from the beginning. And God sees it from eternity. We see it in the here and now because that's how we live, that's how we think. But God sees it from a vantage point that you and I can't understand. He sees it, the end first, from the beginning. He knows the number of hairs that are upon your head. He knew the day of your birth, and he knows the day of your death. He knows all that is in between. He knows every scar. He knows every tear. In fact, the word of God is he takes your tears and he puts them in a bottle. There's nothing about your life that God hasn't seen or not even he's aware of. And the spirit of God, Paul says, he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Because sometimes we just don't know what to pray but the Spirit of God does. So he intercedes for you. Because the Spirit of God is moving us towards being more and more and more and more like Jesus. We were predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And in that conformity and in that likeness, God has described, or should I say prescribed, some sufferings, some heartaches, some setbacks. He knows the end from the beginning. We as Christians only pray what we can see and understand by temporary sight and human reasoning. But he intercedes for what is best for us, what is according to the will of God. The will of God according to his purpose. And then we get to this verse that we quote. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. Catch. All things work together for good to them that love God, who have been called. Who have been called according to his purpose. And those whom he's called, he's justified. Those he's justified, he will glorify and God's purposes is always for our good in sanctification. Isaiah says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. As the Holy Spirit is interceding and he's leading us, this is will of God includes sufferings, afflictions, heartaches, pains, regrets, betrayals, marriages, babies, new homes, new cars, business startups, and business failures. And in the midst of all of these things in this broken world, as we groan, I started off by reminding you when God created everything, that in the midst of all of these things, you must remember that God is good. And that's what Paul said. And we know that all things work together for good. That God is working it out according to his will. And that's the hardest thing for us as the children of God to wrestle with when sufferings come knocking at our door. I was choking up in the room and I'm closing. I'll pick up on this in a couple weeks from now. Y'all know my story. 
so I'm not going to belabor it. But I was in the room and I was like, Lord, I would have never in my wildest dream. And I'm confident now in God and who he is. But there was a time that I wasn't. I was so afraid of my shadow. I stuttered. I just was. a, And then I had all those racial moments in my life. And um, feeling limited, totally paralyzed when that day, that night, that man stood over me. And I cried so hard in front of Jim. His name was Jim. I hope I get to meet him. Him and I can become friends. So Lord, if that's something you can do, I pray that you do it. And Jim stood over me. I was so broken, guys. So I stood in his office on my knees begging for my job. I was wailing so hard. I was wailing. I said, Jim, don't do this. I had no power. I was totally beyond any power to do anything to keep that job that night. And um, PCA, Packaging Corporation of America, a fatherless, hurt, wounded, horrible mares, doing everything I knew to, I was fighting, fighting depression, and then stories like that in your life. I didn't have words to say. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know what to say. What can you say? And somewhere in the Holy Spirit must have articulated words out of me. As I was speaking to Briarwood's class this morning to a 70-year-old Southern whites, and I was sharing my story, and Michael Noah was on that line in Zoom, and I could just see God and his purposes beyond what I saw when I was on that floor that night. Here it is some 40-some years later. And the Holy Spirit must have just articulated groans out of me, kept me from pure hatred and bitterness. And I know Joseph must have felt the same. Moses as well. It's all over the scripture. And God works it out for his good. That's what Paul is trying to say. And I share this with with pastor. There will things will come. That's why Paul says in verse 18 that these present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the weight of glory that God has prepared for us. But Paul says, all things work together. God is good. And he knows where he's taking us and you and sanctifying you. And that story has, has sanctified me in ways and given me a, a depth and understanding of the gospel that a lot of people only know by intellect that I've come to know by experience because I had to meet a real Jesus. I couldn't have a, it couldn't just be a story. Did you catch that? It couldn't just be a story for me. I had to beat him. There was no way I was coming out of that. Just by, you was giving me a book. I had to meet Jesus. That one that came and walked in Jerusalem. I had to meet him. And it pushed me into a cry, into a desperation. I must cry out to him, Jesus, you know what I've gone through. And he had to come down. And that blood that was shed at Calvary had to flow over into my heart, to the depths of my being. My identity was warped, mentally distorted. Jesus had to reach down through the power of his spirit and make me over and tell me, I made you. You've been created by me.
You don't have to worry about your nose, your lips, or anything else. I made you just the way I wanted you. It didn't come by reading books. It came by having true reality of the God who knows the end from the beginning. Father, I thank you tonight that you know our end and you know our beginnings. And according to Philippians, he who has begun the good work in us is faithful to bring it to a completion. And I pray, Father, for our church and the young saints that are here, that when in the midst of the storms and the groanings and the lonely nights, that you, Holy Spirit, would intercede through them and for them the will of God, that they will remember this sermon, that they will hold true to your word. Lord, you are doing something here in Fairfield. And it was in 2018 that I was at my lowest point. Tired. I couldn't pray. I couldn't articulate what I was feeling. But I thank you, Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit that he interceded to me, to the will of God. And even on this night, we see what you had in store what you had in plan. And I praise you and thank you, Father, that you allowed those hard times so that I would not lean on my own understanding, that I would not lean on power of money, that I would not put my faith and trust in riches, but that I would trust in the sovereign God who does all that he does by his spirit, so that no man, no woman, no child, no girl can boast in the presence of the Almighty. When it's all said and done, we will say it was God. It was God, the God of grace, the God of mercy. So I praise you and thank you, Father, for what you had been doing over these 40 plus years. And I pray that in whatever you're doing here in Fairfield, in the city of Birmingham, that we would not interfere, that we would not get ahead of you or lag behind you. But we pray, Father, that you would do that which you have been planning to do before time began. So Lord Jesus, we submit these things to you. You be glorified in all that we do and say. Amen. Amen. Please stand to your feet and be dismissed. Brother Patrick, come and uh, just give a prayer.